This episode of the Craft Spirits Podcast is brought to you by Anton Parr. Proofing can be hard, so let Anton Parr, the world leader in beverage analysis, help. Anton Parr has solutions for any budget to help at every step of the production process. From raw materials to fermentation analysis, blending, bottling, and TTB-compliant alcohol measurement and proofing, Anton Parr has the perfect solution to make sure your products are at their best when they get to your customers. Check the show notes or head to AntonParr.com to find out how you can get in touch with an Anton Parr expert who has worked with distilleries ranging from startups to the biggest producers on the planet. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, that I kind of did this a little bit younger than some people. Uh, and that was kind of, those people were an inspiration, frankly, because I saw these people that were um, 40, 50, even 60 years old making the jump to different careers that they were passionate about. And I looked at them and I said, why, why would I wait till then? You know, it's awesome that they were able to do it that late, but I'm like, why don't I get a head start? I'm watching them do it. Let's do it when I'm, you know, 25, 26, 27, um, not when I'm 40, 50, 60. From the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine, this is the Craft Spirits Podcast. I'm John Page, and today on the program, we're running from the law. We find out what happens when a recent law school graduate quits his job, moves across the country, and starts a career in craft spirits. Today you know him as Jeff Canoff, the vice president and co-owner of Seattle's Copperworks Distilling Company, and a secretary and a board member of ACSA. In mid-December, we chatted via Zoom about that journey from the law to distilling, about a passion for beer that he shares with Copperworks co-founders Jason Parker and Micah Nutt, and about some recent releases from the distillery, including Copperworks Washington Peated American Single Malt Whiskey. In the brief time that passed between that conversation and the release of this podcast, craft distillers received some amazing news. The year-end omnibus and stimulus package approved by Congress and signed by the President included the Craft Beverage Modernization and Tax Reform Act, which gives thousands of craft spirits producers much-needed permanent tax relief. In short, without the legislation and the tireless efforts of many craft spirits makers, ACSA, and other alcohol trade groups, craft distillers would have been facing a 400% tax increase in the new year. Even though the news had yet to break, I asked Jeff about the impact of the tax relief. But first, we chatted about working from home, and in Jeff's case, that's in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah, that is right. I have been home this whole time. Uh, first of all, I'm lucky. You know, I'm lucky that I have a team that allows me to, to make this choice. Um, I have a 14-month-old daughter, so my wife and I have decided to be really conservative and safe during this whole time. And I'm really lucky. I have a, a partner who's been holding the fort down at the distillery and then uh, three of our production team. I've been doing a bunch of the work there, you know, bottling, distilling, um, so making it possible for me to do this at all. Um, the main thing that is a bit of a challenge doing work from home, which is, you know, kind of goes beyond the, the sales and marketing stuff that I do, is um, I kind of lead our taste panel and our, our blends for our whiskey. So obviously I need to taste the whiskey. So that can be a bit of a challenge when you're not actually where the barrels are stored. But luckily, um, one of my colleagues, Barrett, who's one of our distillers, uh, he also lives in Tacoma. So he lives about six blocks from me. 
So he's able to bring me samples, you know, whenever I need them. And I'm able to taste those and give feedback, make some blends at home, send them back up to the distillery. Um, so it's been, it's been great. I've been very lucky to be able to kind of hang here at home and, and make it work. And then, you know, from the rest of my job is, is mostly emails and, you know, distributor management and, you know, trying to make some sales in a time where there aren't too many sales going on at all. So that stuff is, you know, phone, emails, lots of these, you know, Zoom conferences, podcasts, um, all kinds of things for, for sales and marketing purposes. So um, I've made it work. And, you know, again, just kind of thanks to my team for, for helping me make it work. Yeah. And uh, I've, I've seen there is a background that you have right now. You're, you're not in front of that awesome background, but there's an awesome uh, background that, that you have uh, for some video calls. Tell, tell people about that. It looks just like a magic wall of spirits. Yeah. I'm uh, speaking of supportive people. I'm, I'm lucky to have uh, my wife who's always supported my uh, we'll call it a, a hobby, I guess, of collecting booze. Uh, maybe a habit is a better term for that sometimes. Yeah. Um, but she's always encouraged me, you know, yeah, buy that bottle, try that bottle, get that bottle. Um, so I have a collection, probably about 500 bottles um, that are on a double bookshelf. And of course, when this pandemic hit and I knew I was going to be at home and we started getting invited to, you know, some Zoom events and things like that, she was like, hey, you got to set up a nice little background, make sure you show off all that stuff. So. <laughs> You know, she got it set up and uh, I've been kind of working from that area of the house um, when I'm doing something on video uh, and then can kind of show off that collection. And, you know, I think it sends a, a cool message to our fans where it says, yeah, we love our own spirits, but, you know, we love other spirits too. We're here for the whole industry. Um, you know, we got into this industry because of some of the big brands that we enjoyed. And then we like to support all our uh, friends in the craft distilling industry as well. What's uh, What are a couple, if you just had to pick a, a a couple two or three uh spirits on that wall that are you're, you're most excited about or most meaningful to you yeah i think um one company that means a lot to me is uh balcones um so they were sort of you know one of the leaders in the craft whiskey movement and i remember you know picking up a bottle before i was anywhere near this industry just when i was sort of a fan of tasting spirits and trying cocktails remember getting a hand, my hands on a bottle when I was living in New York and thinking, wow, this is, this is really good stuff. Um, it can stand against, you know, the, the big brands that have been doing this for, you know, generations. Um, so those, those bottles mean a lot to me, especially the, the single malts, because that's what we do is make American single malt whiskey. So um, I like to, to taste their different single malts. I also love, love the guys at Belcone. So that, that helps. Um, you know, some other bottles, I, I'm a big fan of Mezcal, even though, you know, I have nothing to do with making Mezcal in, in, in the industry, but I'm a big fan. So visited Oaxaca, I've spent some time in other parts of Mexico and I picked up some kind of random bottles from producers there. So they're kind of, you know, unlabeled fun bottles. So I always enjoy sharing those, you know, when people can come over, which hopefully will happen at some point in the future. So yeah, someday, fingers crossed. Exactly. Um, uh, well, I guess speaking of that, when, when we're on the other side of this, um, do you see a world where you'll go into Copperworks West because you are able to be so effective from home? Or, or do you think you'll be so excited that you'll want to be there every day? Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely will be excited to get back in some respects. Um, but that said, it is nice to have 
time where you're not around other folks, where you can actually focus on, on certain parts of the job. You know, anytime you have to write something or, you know, shoot photos and edit the photos, um, things where it takes a little more focus and you don't want to be interrupted or, you know, have the urge to interrupt by wandering off and talking to somebody about something. Sure. So I think there will be times when I will want to stay home. To be honest, I was doing a little bit of that beforehand because, you know, my wife and I did just have our daughter back in uh, October of 2019. So I was trying to kind of create a schedule where I worked from home at least one day a week um, so I could spend a little more time with them. Um, so I think I'll probably go back to sort of that version of my schedule where it's maybe, you know, one or two days at home, three days at the distillery. Um, I think people will be happy to not have to pull barrel samples for me. I can do them for myself. So, so that'll be a plus for my team. Um, and, you know, of course, it, it is definitely easier to collaborate on ideas and the sales and marketing aspects of things when I'm around the team and, and we're kind of seeing what's going on with each other. Gotcha. Um, so, so we're talking in mid-December and the Craft Beverage Modernization Tax Reform Act is is still up in the air and there's a very good chance that between the time that we're recording this uh, and the time that we put this out there, that some, there's going to be some kind of news about it. Um, I, I think really any distillers that are listening to this know how important that reform is. Um, I'm curious to anyone else out there that's listening who, who might not know, how do you explain how important that reform is? Um, like essentially if we weren't in a pandemic and you were at the tasting room uh, talking to someone on a tour about it, like how, what's your angle on how you talk about it? Yeah, I mean, to, to the general public, I, I think the biggest kind of selling point, if you will, for the tax reduction is um, they like having distilleries around the corner and in their city and in cities that they visit on vacation. And if those taxes go back up, a lot of those places are unfortunately gonna close um, or they're going to get a lot smaller. They're going to have to, you know, move into spaces that don't have, you know, as cool a space for visitors to come in. So, you know, if they want to have fun and visit distilleries and see cool, innovative products come out, um, it's really important that, that this gets done. And, and like you said, hopefully there's some action, you know, before this uh, podcast gets published. Um, so hopefully, you know, we're, we're long celebrating before anybody hears me talk about this. Um, but if we're not, and we're still fighting for that, um, yeah, I just hope people understand that uh, it's a really tough business to survive in, especially for people that are making aged spirits, where it takes a lot of capital. So any any help you can get um, is going to go right back into the business. Uh, it's going to go right back to the government, frankly, because it just means we're going to grow, and we're going to have more employees, and we're going to have uh, more spirits that we're paying taxes on. Um, so it's kind of a win-win-win, you know, it's good for us, it's good for the government, it's good for the consumers having more of us sticking around. So um, hopefully, you know, that, that kind of prevails and, and we're celebrating uh, pretty soon. Yeah, that's honestly, that's something I don't think I've heard anybody say yet is that it is good for the government. <laughs> yeah. And when you put it like that, it does, it's like, well, it's a, it is a win-win for everybody. So yeah, yeah I think, I, I think it's Park Street who often talks about how uh, inefficient small producers like like craft spirit producers are and and that's great for employment right because you know for every case we make we have a lot more you know employment dollars going uh, and therefore taxes being paid on those employment dollars versus a huge company 
you know, that can make millions of cases with relatively small team per, you know, per case. So you have a, a lot of small producers, it's going to be kind of a net win for, you know, jobs, essentially. Once again, that tax relief is now, thankfully and finally, permanent. After the break, Jeff talks about his journey to craft spirits. This episode of the Craft Spirits podcast is brought to you by Anton Parr. Proofing can be hard, so let Anton Parr, the world leader in beverage analysis, help. Anton Parr has solutions for any budget to help at every step of the production process. From raw materials to fermentation analysis, blending, bottling, and TTB-compliant alcohol measurement and proofing, Anton Parr has the perfect solution to make sure your products are at their best when they get to your customers. Check the show notes or head to AntonParr.com to find out how you can get in touch with an Anton Parr expert who has worked with distilleries ranging from startups to the biggest producers on the planet. This podcast is a production of the American Craft Spirits Association and Craft Spirits Magazine. ACSA is the only registered national nonprofit trade group representing the U.S. craft spirits industry through conventions, webinars, publications, competitions, special programs, and more. It's our mission to elevate and advocate for the community of craft spirits producers. Learn more at AmericanCraftSpirits.org. Craft Spirits Magazine is the unparalleled resource for in-depth insight and intelligence for the entire craft spirits universe. The bi-monthly digital magazine features the information and analysis that small independent spirits producers and allied businesses need to operate in today's complex craft beverage market. To see our latest issue and subscribe for free, visit craftspiritsmag.com. Jeff was just a few years out of law school working for a respected New York City law firm when he decided the law wasn't for him. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm not unique in maybe having changed a ton since I was 16, 17 years old and deciding what to go to college for, right? It's, you know, we're kind of pushed in that direction in a lot of ways. And, and for me, uh, and, and we haven't even talked about this, for me, I went into a program called Sport and Entertainment Management because I was, you know, a sports nut, like, like a lot of people. Uh, if anybody knows me now, they're probably surprised to hear that because I'm kind of very anti-sports, especially anti-professional sports, which is, you know, what that major was all about is going into that kind of work. Um, and it, you know, it's really just because I was immature and frankly, I still am immature in, in many ways, but, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so I went to school for that. And then I got to the end of that and I said, I don't want to do this. So I said, well, why don't I go to law school? A lot of people seem to do that. Seems like there's good money. You know, as a 20, 21 year old, I was thinking, well, money is the key to success, right? That's, that's what you yeah. need. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it turns out that wasn't true at all. So I, I got to you know, my first job at a big law firm and I pretty much hated it right off the bat. You know, I, I liked the place I was at. It's a great firm. I still think it's a great place. If you do have to work at a large law firm, I think it's one of the, the best ones. Uh, I liked the people I worked with, you know, including most of the partners who were, you know, technically my bosses. But I just really didn't like the work. I just didn't have any interest in doing it. And I didn't get any joy out of it. Uh, I didn't enjoy talking about it when I, you know, told people what I did for a living. And so I said, you know, to myself, I, I got to find something that I actually like. Uh, and you mentioned, you know, that I kind of did this a little bit younger than some people. 
Uh, and that was kind of, those people were an inspiration, frankly, because I saw these people that were um, 40, 50, even 60 years old, making the jump to different careers that they were passionate about. And I looked at them and I said, why, why would I wait till then? You know, it's awesome that they were able to do it that late. But I'm like, why don't I get a head start? I'm watching them do it. Let's do it when I'm, you know, 25, 26, 27, um, not when I'm 40, 50, 60. Um, so I kind of convinced, uh, maybe convinced is the word, maybe tricked is the word, my now wife to move out to uh, the Seattle area, thinking uh, I needed to get out of New York City where I was at the time um, to live somewhere that's a little bit cheaper. Now, some of you hearing that might be laughing, thinking, well, Seattle's not cheap. But, you know, when we started thinking about it, it was significantly cheaper and it's kind of gotten a little bit out of hand because of the tech scene here. Um, still is quite a bit cheaper than, you know, your New York's and your San Francisco's and LA's. Um, so we moved here and I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to take a job that's kind of a, a normal job with decent hours. So I ended up working at uh, T-Mobile headquarters. Uh, and I said, I'm going to try to meet people in the food and beverage space. And I'm going to see where that goes. And I was really lucky um, through my sister-in-law, I met a guy named uh, Skip Tonetti, who uh, runs Letterpress Distilling, which is about a mile from Copperworks. Uh, and this was before Copperworks existed. And he was just launching his distillery, and he really needed help with whatever, you know, just moving things around, watching the still at times, um, helping, you know, mash in. Um, so I said, hey, I'm available, you know, after about four o'clock every day. Um, when I get off my day job, I'll come help you. So I helped him for almost a year. Uh, and then I met um, Jason and Micah from Copperworks about roughly halfway into that year, started talking to them as they were building out Copperworks. And uh, turns out they knew they wanted to have someone to help launch their tasting room. Um, and, you know, that was the initial discussion, but it, it grew a lot from there um, and became you know, I, I became one of their partners instead of just someone who would help, you know, launch the tasting room. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you just answered a few of my next questions, which, which <laughs> yeah, is, there was a lot there. No, that's, that's <laughs> great. And it, and it was also, I, I didn't realize the, the part about sports, which is funny for me because I, I, uh, same way, uh, used to be, I could tell you the standings of like every sports league every single day, uh, and, and not so much anymore. Um, I guess t tell me a little bit more about that initial leap um, to letterpress. Like, uh, did, did you, were there any moments where you thought twice or, or about it, or, or was it like immediately a sense of like, yeah, this is what I'm, this is my calling? So that that was kind of the easier leap. Um, I would say, you know, the harder leaps were the first leap to quit a law firm position, take about half the pay and move out to Seattle. Um, and for me, that was a pretty easy leap because I was uh, relatively miserable with my work uh, and I, I knew something needed to give. And I'd always loved Seattle, so it wasn't just a random pick. I'd visited a number of times. I really loved Seattle. So I always knew I wanted to be kind of somewhere in this part of the world. Same with Portland, I like Portland a lot as well. Um, so that was a really, difficult challenge. Um, but again, luckily, my, my wife has always been super supportive of this as a hobby, but also this as a potential career. And so, you know, she was on board, she had only visited Seattle for like one day when I came to interview for the job at T-Mobile. And she said, Yeah, let's do it. You know, you need to take this and we can figure out things from there. 
Um, luckily, she's always more employable than I am. So she found a job pretty quickly when we arrived here. Um, so that was a tough jump. You know, helping out Skip was kind of an easy choice because I had some free time. You know, I didn't, you know, wasn't even married, didn't have kids yet. So I had, had the time to be able to kind of dedicate to that. Um, and then the other hard jump was when I said yes to the Copperworks job because that, you know, I went from one salary to half to get to T-Mobile. And then I did about, you know, 30% of that half to, to start at, at Copperworks. So, you know, making next to nothing at the beginning. Um, luckily, that's changed a bit now, so I can you know support my family a bit. But uh, that was a really tough jump, and I, I keep saying this, but I could never say it enough. You know, without my wife's support, I could never have done that because you know at that point she had quite a good job here uh, in in Seattle and uh, made it so that I could you know basically get paid nothing to to launch Copperworks. Uh, so, what's your wife's name? Molly. So, Molly, thank you. <laughs> Yes, he, he deserves many things. The craft spirits community, yeah. Um, so you, uh, you and Copperworks co-founders Jason Parker and Mike and Nutt, you all uh, share a common passion for beer as well. Uh, talk about where that passion comes from for you, and then also how that shows up in the products at Copperworks. Yeah, so it sounds a little cliche or corny, but um it really comes from my dad um so he's always been the type of person that kind of explores with food and beverage you know so whenever he was picking up beer he would often try something new uh, and you know we're talking about not the mid early 90s when i started noticing this as a small kid um and that's on the east coast which was a little bit behind the west coast so it was pretty unusual for you know a guy his age um or any age really on the East Coast in the 90s to be saying, hey, let's try some of these craft beers. And you know, we're talking about things like Harpoon or Sam Adams, you know, some of the folks that were kind of first on that scene. Um, but I noticed it as a kid, you know, I would go to the beer distributor with them and I would look at the, the different packages and you know, I would say, oh, you should try this one. Um, and you know, my parents were really strict about like not drinking as kids. So I didn't ever try anything. I just thought it was really cool that he was, he was trying things. Um, so then when I finally did get off to college and, and then especially when I got to legal age, when I could, you know, buy my own beer whenever I felt like it, that just carried through. So I was always tasting different beer. Um, when I was in law school, I was doing a lot of studying, so I wasn't, you know, going out super often, but what I would do to kind of keep things interesting on, on tough study days is they try a new beer like every day. So I would go to the store, you know, pick out 20 or 30 singles, and then each night I would just try one. Um, so, you know, during my first year of law school, I probably tasted 200 to 250 new beers that I hadn't tried before. Um, so that kind of was how I got into that. And then it just kind of logically got over to spirits because it was just another thing to taste. And, um, you know, a lot of the cool bars that I was going to were starting to get into the cocktail scene. Um, and I, you know, kind of started tasting whiskey and, and, trying different cocktails and spilled over into that. Um, so the reason that's kind of pertinent to Copperworks is because Jason Parker is a professional brewer. So he started brewing, um, you know, back when my dad was buying some of that beer. Uh, so he was a brewer at Pike Brewing back in 1989. So about as early as you can be in, in craft beer. You know, you can go a few years before that, but, but not much. Yeah, um, if your dad had been on the West Coast, he would have been drinking some Pyramid at some point where Jason was too, so. Definitely, yeah, for sure. 
And, and then Micah has been a home brewer since that time. So, you know, they were friends in the 90s in Seattle um, during the whole like grunge scene thing. And they were living in a house together and brewing beer together. Um, so the whole idea behind Copperworks was to take that professional brewing experience and that home brewing experience that they have and apply it to spirits. So, so everything we make is from malted barley. It's all from, you know, making real beer. You know, the only difference is we don't use hops. Um, so we actually brew at Elysian Brewing, we brew at Pike Brewing, and we brew at Fremont Brewing. And so we're using all their beautiful equipment. Um, we're trucking the um, uh, unfermented uh, wash over to our facility, doing a fermentation with a real beer yeast. Typically it's fresh yeast directly from Elysian Brewing. Uh, and we're doing a clean fermentation, which is very unusual for a distillery. Um, so we're doing a boil at the brewery, uh, and then we're doing a, a sanitary and temperature controlled fermentation. So it's a really kind of stupid process when you think of traditional spirits, because you're not going to get the yield that you do with traditional spirits. Um, and you're also not going to get some of the flavors that you do with traditional spirits, um, but you're going to get different flavors. And that's why we do it. You know, so our whiskey um, you know, tastes nothing like a single malt scotch. It's got its own characteristics from that process, you know, from that type of yeast, uh, from the fact that we do have a lot of residual sugar that goes into the stills. Um, so it's a really different process. And it's, it's just kind of I, sort of happenstance that I ended up in a place that is so beer focused when, you know, my, uh, I don't know if I would call it career, but my interest in the industry stemmed from the craft beer movement. Um, and it, it can actually be quite hard to get people to make that jump from craft beer to craft spirits. It, it might be surprising to some to hear that, but, you know, often we'll talk to brewers and they're so knowledgeable about their process and they're so knowledgeable about their products, um, you know, down to the exact science of it and, you know, tiny off flavors that can happen in their beer. Um, but then you start telling them about your products and, it's like it's magic and they have no idea what you're talking about. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> so it is hard to make that jump, um, but it's cool that, you know, we kind of have a head start having, you know, three owners who have made that jump personally and are trying to educate people about our process. Yeah. So you, you know, you briefly mentioned uh, meeting Jason and Micah, I guess if, if you go back and, and think about, meeting them and, and kind of the, the early process of getting involved with Copperworks. What, what was it about them that you thought, I want to be part of this with these guys? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, so initially I met them, we have a large uh, distillery festival in Washington uh, called Proof Washington. Um, so it happens roughly July every year. Um, and I, th I think I met them, I think it was the second year of that festival. So I was helping um, Skip with letterpress at the table, pouring the spirits. And Jason and Micah, of course, weren't open yet, but they were there. So Jason was on the board of the Distillers Guild that, that throws that event. So he and Micah were, you know, volunteering and attending that. Um, and I met them there and I, I just said, Hey, yeah, we should chat sometime. I, I would love to come by and see what you guys are up to. Cause they were already in the space and starting to build it out. Um, didn't have much in there at that point, but you know, it was starting to come together. Um, so I went and, and sat down with Jason for a while and just kind of showed him I was interested and, and started helping them out. And, um, I just thought what they were doing was really cool. To be honest, I didn't even know a ton about malt whiskey at that time. I was more of an American, you know, traditional American whiskey drinker, more, you know, bourbon and rye um, and other spirits. 
uh, I've, you know, I've had experience with single malt scotch, but not nearly as much as I do now, almost, I guess, 10 years later or so. Um, so I just thought it was super cool that they were making this new category, American single malt, and applying beer techniques, which, you know, I knew a fair amount about and was obviously excited about as a big craft beer fan. Um, and I just like them as people. I, I really liked the fact that, you know, especially coming from where I came from at, at big law firms where um, the whole idea, you know, is to get billable hours and to have, you know, FaceTime and to make sure you show the partners you're there late. Um, I found Jason and Micah to be sort of the opposite of that. You know, they were, of course, pushing to open the distillery, but they weren't there till midnight or one every night. You know, they knew it was going to open at some point. They were going to get the work done and they still wanted to have lives. And, you know, of course, we don't have as much of a life as we want to sometimes, but they definitely tried to set some of those boundaries where they said, okay, there's nothing pertinent. Let's go home. It's five o'clock. And I think, you know, the combination of the innovative work they were trying to do, um, the beauty of the stills they were installing and kind of that attitude they had, I said, you know what, these guys, I think they know what they're doing. I think it'd be a cool place to, to join up. Um, and, you know, I had no idea what it was going to become. I mean, now, you know, I've spent more time with those guys than almost anybody else in my life. Um, you know, I work with Jason many hours every day on the phone, even, even though I haven't seen him in person for quite a long time. Um, you know, Micah is, is not as involved directly day to day at the distillery anymore, but, um, you know, he's become like one of my best friends. Um, so it's, it's been so much more than just a job for sure. After one more break, Jeff shares details on some of Copperworks most recent releases. This episode of the Craft Spirits Podcast is brought to you by Anton Parr. Proofing can be hard, so let Anton Parr, the world leader in beverage analysis, help. Anton Parr has solutions for any budget to help at every step of the production process. From raw materials to fermentation analysis, blending, bottling, and TTB-compliant alcohol measurement and proofing, Anton Parr has the perfect solution to make sure your products are at their best when they get to your customers. Check the show notes or head to AntonParr.com to find out how you can get in touch with an Anton Parr expert who has worked with distilleries ranging from startups to the biggest producers on the planet. Copperworks is best known for its American single malt whiskey and cask finished gins. One of the newest releases is Copperworks peated malt whiskey. So a lot of people will be familiar with, with peated whiskey. So obviously, um, peated whiskey is the process where um, peat is burned and the smoke is infused during uh, the malting process of barley. So that's not new or novel. It's been happening for, for centuries, um, primarily in Scotland. What's really new and novel about this product that we created is it's a Washington peated whiskey. And so that doesn't mean it's just a peated whiskey that was made in Washington. It means the barley that we use was grown in Washington and the peat that was used in the malting process was harvested from Washington state. So this is an entirely Washington product. And by the way, that makes it not only cool from a story perspective, but it tastes entirely different than a Scottish peat. So the Scottish peat, you know, you're gonna get the, the iodine, the seaweed, um, a lot of really distinctive notes, and that does not happen in this product. And you know, the main reason for that 
uh, is some because of the process, but mostly it's because the peat, which is you know essentially just um, decomposed plant matter, comes from different plants. You know, different plants are are growing here, and in the particular uh, peat bog that we got it from for this project, um, than what they're using in Scotland. So it's going to taste dramatically different. Um, so it was a really cool project. It kind of got off the ground with a company called Skagit Valley Malting, which is a small craft maltster here in Washington. Um, they were, you know, from what I know, one of the earlier kind of small maltsters to pop up in this country. Um, they've actually become decent size, so they're starting to, you know, ship up and down the West Coast and some other parts of the country as well. Uh, but ultimately, they're a Washington maltster, so, you know, most of what they're using is growing um, right near them, about 70 miles north of Seattle in, in what's called the Skagit Valley. Um, and the peat for the product came from um, the Olympic Peninsula, um, which for those of you who might not be uh, familiar with Washington State geography, is out towards the coast, a beautiful area, big national park, um, not many people, so very, you know, kind of remote, scenic, beautiful it, part of this country. And it looks like it's very close to Seattle, but it's really far. Yeah, so it's, you know, if you're looking at the map, <clears throat> if you're a bird or a plane, you can get there pretty quick. But if you're anywhere, anyone else, you either have to take a ferry and drive quite a different distance or go all the way around to get there. So you're talking about you know, at least a few hour commitment, even though it does look like it's kind of right adjacent to Seattle. Have you have you been out to visit the peat bog? Have you like taken a bottle with you? Is that a, is I actually haven't. <laughs> <laughs> it would be fun someday to kind of, you know, celebrate that by yeah. doing, doing a little photo shoot there. Um, we have been to Skagit Valley Malting quite a few times. Uh, it's, it's really cool to see what they've been up to. Um, they, they are very cool, not only because of these products that they're making, um, but because of the way they're doing it. So, you know, essentially in, in the bigger malt houses, um, the barley used has to be really similar because they're going to throw it into huge batches and malt it all together. So if there's, you know, differences in size and hydration levels, um, it's not going to work very well. There's going to be major issues. Um, Skagit Valley Malting and some other small maltsters around the country have um, developed much smaller scales. So they're, they're able to take, you know, single lots of barley and do them, you know, in, in a few tons at a time, you know, rather than hundreds of tons. Um, so it's really cool for us because we can essentially pick a farm, we can pick a variety of barley, uh, and then we can malt it. So I'm getting a little off topic on the peat, but the peat kind of relates to that because it's, um, part of that project of sort of, hey, we can do these small batch malts to make whiskey from and really celebrate um, the malt rather than treating the malt as a commodity. Um, so big, big distilleries around the world who, by the way, make great whiskey. I'm not saying anything against them, but they're typically thinking about um, the barrels and the time in barrels as to how they get a lot of their flavor. Um, they kind of consider the barley in many ways to be a, a constant that you know every distiller has access to because it has been treated that way it's sort of a commodity it's been grown for you know yield disease resistance uniformity um, and it, it's become kind of a race to, to make the cheapest stuff that that gets the highest alcohol yield and I've been on tours where they flat out say that you know they say we're just trying to get the most alcohol out of this grain that we can and that's just totally counter to what I think the craft spirits movement is about and certainly to what Copperworks is about. And so, so this one was aged four years, is that right? Yeah, this was aged um, just over four years. It's eight, 
casks that were blended together for this. Um, they were all new oak, which is pretty distinctive for, you know, a peated product. You typically think of Scottish products, like I mentioned earlier, and, and scotch is typically aged in used barrels. So having those smoky notes with a new barrel is already kind of distinctive. And then the fact that these smoky notes are totally different than the Scottish smoky notes is, is makes it even more unique. Yeah, it's, uh, that's one I, I would love to try. Uh, you, you also have a uh, Imperial Stout cast finished gin, which came out recently. So there's another, another beer connection. Talk a little bit about that collaboration with uh, Three Magnets Brewing. Yeah, for sure. So that was something we always knew we wanted to do is um, collaborate with brewers, right? So the, the easiest way to get that started is barrel exchange type programs. So um, I actually met the folks at Three Magnets Brewing uh, doing a sales call. So they have a really cool pub down in Olympia, Washington, um, which again, for those of you not familiar, is uh, about an hour to two hour drive from Seattle, depending on the traffic, but relatively close. Um, closer to Tacoma, actually. Um, so I went in there to to sell them some whiskey, you know, so I was prepared with my pitch of, hey, we start with beer, you're a brew pub, this makes total sense for you to have on your back bar. Um, well, I ended up hanging out there for about an hour, tasting beers, talking about beer, talking about whiskey, um, and just realized pretty quickly they were super cool people. So, you know, I knew they would buy whiskey from us, but I didn't really care about that at, at that point. I, I wanted to do more with them. So one thing we did is we sent them about uh, six barrels of uh, used American single malt whiskey barrels from Copperworks, and they aged their product that they call uh, Tompkins Imperial Stout in that. Um, Tompkins is uh, based on a ship that was local to the area at one point, and it's all about kind of delivering goods. Um, they do a much better job of telling the story than I do. Um, but basically the idea is this is a collaborative product. So they've done the Copperworks version in our barrels. They've also done Syrah um, barrels from a local winery that they work with. And then they did a, an oyster stout with a local oyster farm. So the ho whole idea behind the concept of the Tompkins line is it's always some sort of collaboration, but it's always a, a oatmeal imperial stout. Okay. And so for this one, it was the Copperworks Tompkins, which was aged in the uh, Copperworks American Single Malt Whiskey Barrels for about a year. And then we took four barrels back. So two of them, we filled with two-year-old American Single Malt that had been aging in new barrels. So we actually released that around this time last year. Um, so that was a, a Imperial Stout cask whiskey. And then we also filled two of them with our uh, small batch gin recipe. And that one took quite a bit longer. That took uh, almost a year in the barrels uh, to get to the place we wanted to release that one. So we released that uh, a couple weeks ago at this point. So um, that'll, and luckily it's two barrels. So it lasts a little bit longer coming just from our tasting room, but it'll be sold out maybe by the time this comes out, but uh, we'll see. And, and what does an Imperial Stout finished gin, what is that like? Yeah, it's pretty wild. Um, so it, for anybody who's tasted our, our normal gin, what we call our small batch gin, because it's made from barley, it has a really nice body and mouthfeel to it already. So it's quite a bit more viscous than your typical London dry gin. And it's also quite a bit sweeter. So we find it works really well in barrels, which is why we experiment with so many barrels. Um, you know, a lot of people use the term old Tom. Um, we've always shied away from that um, for various reasons. But our gin, because it is a little sweeter, kind of works in that category quite well. And with the Imperial Stout, especially, you're getting some kind of chocolatey notes. 
it's definitely highlighting a lot of the uh, orange notes that are in our gin. So you almost get this like creamsicle thing going on and some of the chocolate orange going on. Um, and then of course, a lot of the barrel flavor as well. So you're still getting some of that kind of oak flavor, some of that like vanilla, a little bit of the tannins from that. Um, and it softens the juniper a ton. So really not a ton of juniper notes, which some gin purists might be a little angry about, but um, <laughs> that's all right. They can taste our small batch gin instead. Um, but yeah, it's really this quite sippable gin. You know, it's not something you necessarily need to mix too much. You just kind of put it on a single ice cube or just sip it neat on its own because it's got this, this richness of the gin but a ton of, you know, chocolate, orange, some of that barrel flavor coming through as well. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds amazing. Uh, what are some other things that are coming out or that are out right now that you're also excited about? Yeah, so a couple of things. So we are just, we just released our first cut program. So that's kind of a fun um, program. You know, we always wanted to have a little bit of a, a club type thing for our products. Um, we've never been particularly great at having a strict release schedule because like I sort of have hinted at, we're always going to lead with flavor. So it's really hard for us to say, hey, this product's going to come out, you know, in June. Um, we're just not very good at that. Uh, also because we're small. So it makes it a little bit hard to do all that planning ahead of time. Uh, and because we're small, it makes it hard to wait when something's ready. We don't want to just bottle it and, and wait to release it. We want to get it out. You know, we want to honestly get some of those sales. We want to get people tasting it and spreading the word about Copperworks. Um, so we've never been particularly good about having a strict schedule. So we instead developed a club that just gives everybody early access. So they get uh, an email a week before any product comes out and they can buy it ahead of time. Um, that means, you know, for some of our really small things, they ensure that they get a bottle before, you know, it sells out. Um, it also means they just kind of have bragging rights around Seattle where they say, hey, I've tasted that already. You got to wait a little bit to try it. Um, but the more interesting thing is we always do an exclusive whiskey bottle with it. So, so this year's bottle um, was our oldest and highest strength whiskey we've ever released. Um, so it was almost six year old, um, a part of our uh, five malt recipe. So that's like a Scotch ale that's going into barrels um, after being distilled, of course. Uh, and that was going into a really interesting barrel that was a hybrid of both French and American oak. So it has a lot of really interesting flavors, a lot of kind of depth of flavor because of those two different wood types and because of the five malt recipe um, and because of, you know, pretty mature whiskey for what we typically are releasing at Copperworks. So it's a really fun one. Um, and I, I think it's, I forget the exact strength on that, but it's something like 132 proof. Um, oh, yeah. So it's pretty, pretty staggering uh, yeah. cask strength for that one, especially for only a six year old whiskey. Um, so that one's really exciting. Um, just came out. And of course it comes with kind of that subscription concept as well. So we, we, we essentially wanted to kick off the subscription by giving people something cool. So this is our third year doing that. Um, and, and it's been really fun. Uh, next year, um, we're gonna have some really cool releases. Um, we're not super secretive, so I don't mind giving a preview to anybody that's listening to this. We'll probably have a product that's, um, we'll call it something like double peated. So it'll be that peated whiskey we were talking about earlier, that's the Washington peat, and it'll be finished in an Ardbeg cask. So I'm really excited about that one. So That's awesome. Uh, yeah, the Ardbeg is definitely going to be there. You know, we've been tasting that one recently, and it's it's notable in the flavor profile. So that'll be really cool. 
you, you kind of hit on some, one of the next things I was going to ask you again, which is, um, you know, I, I interviewed you and Jason, Jason uh, early on in the pandemic um, when uh, that crowdfunding campaign that you all did, which uh, I, I think did surprisingly well given the timing of the world. Um, and one of my big takeaways was just how open you all seem to be as a company. So uh, I'm curious what, what you say to another distillery or really anyone who runs a company ab about being open and not being afraid to share so much of what you do with your customers and competitors. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have like a great answer. It's kind of who we are to the core, just as people. And you know, going back to earlier part of this conversation, that might have been one of the reasons why I liked Jason and Micah as well, because they have that same kind of openness that I always have had. Um, you know, Jason, like I mentioned, is on the Guild uh, board, board of the Guild here in Washington. Um, I, of course, am on the uh, board of the ACSA. So we're always about the community and helping each other. And, you know, we've gotten a ton of help over the years, you know, before we started to all the way up till present day, you know, I mean, I call people all the time saying, how do you do this? Why did you do this? Can you, can you help me with that? Um, so it's just always been how we are. And, and frankly, I think customers like it as well. Um, you know, they, they like to see that kind of contrast to big companies where, you know, you can't tell what's going on. You don't know who's calling the shots. Um, whereas with us, they can, they can call us up or email and they're most likely going to get a response from Jason or myself. Um, I mean, if they don't, they're going to get from one of our team who are, you know, taught to be similarly open. So, and, and they're, they're involved in the process, you know, as much as we are and, and more in some cases. So, um, we don't have any problem with them answering questions either. So I think, I think it's just, it's very natural for us. And I think, if anybody is keeping secrets, I'm not sure it's going to help. I, I don't know how it would help. You know, if someone wants to copy what Copperworks is doing, great. You know, we'd be super flattered. I, I don't know why they would want to do that because if you're in this industry, it's probably because you have your own vision of something. And, you know, if you want to do something similar to us, that's really cool. It'd be fun to taste it side by side, even have an event. Uh, I think it, it goes back a little bit to the beer thing too, right? The beer community is very collaborative, very friendly. Um, oftentimes they get together and do collaborations, you know, without even a plan, they just kind of get together and go for it. Um, and so we bring over some of that spirit, uh, no, no pun originally intended to, to the spirits <laughs> world. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that was a terrible answer or, uh, hopefully people can get something out of that. I think it was a great answer. Um, so, so this is, this will be, uh, coming out right before new year's. It's New Year's Eve. What is in your glass, Jeff Ganoff? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I, it's got you got to have sparkling wine at some point, right? I think that's part of the part of the New Year's thing. Um, I don't really love New Year's. I think it's uh, kind of celebrating an arbitrary date on the calendar, uh, which you know all holidays are to some extent. But New Year's seems like even more so of that. Um, but you know, I'm sure I'll have some, some whiskey in my glass. Um, probably one of those bottles we were talking about earlier, uh, probably some beer as well. So nothing too exciting, but all high quality products, I would imagine. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with you on the arbitrariness of it, but at the same time, I feel like we're all just ready to be over with 2020. Uh, and, and there is, you know, 
as we're as we're talking uh you know the last yesterday uh they started started rolling out the vaccine uh in the u.s so i guess aside from the the obvious hope that the world returns to some semblance of normalcy what are you looking forward to in 2021 and beyond i'm looking forward to uh seeing people again <laughs> and traveling a bit um my, my wife and i are big travelers um, we've been trying, you know, especially since Copperworks has gotten a bit more stable, we've been trying to do a couple of big trips every year. Uh, we had a baby, so that slowed down one year. And then obviously this year has been a total wash. We had a trip to Europe in April that was canceled. And then a, a trip with some family in October to Europe that was canceled. Oh, so man. over to on that, you know, obviously like I kicked this off, you know, we're in a lucky position that our, the worst thing that's happening to us is having trips canceled. So I definitely recognize that a lot of people are going through uh, significantly worse things than that. So try to stay positive. Um, but I am looking forward to, to getting back out into the world quite literally and, and getting over to, you know, Europe or somewhere else and uh, meeting people in different cultures and, and drinking their drinks and trying their food and, and sharing uh, some of the American craft spirits with them as well. That's our program for today. Thanks to Jeff for chatting and diving back into his past. And thanks again to Anton Parr for sponsoring this episode. You can learn more about them at antonpar.com. That's A-N-T-O-N hyphen P-A-A-R.com. If you haven't already, you can check out the latest issue of Craft Spirits Magazine online, which features the medalists from our inaugural Craft Spirits Packaging Awards. You can find that and subscribe for free at craftspiritsmag.com. We'll be back in a few weeks with Amber Pollock of Wyoming-based Backwards Distilling Company. Until then, thanks for listening, and cheers! Cheers!